Book the First, Part 8 of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the First, Part 8. That evening, Somerset was so preoccupied with these things that he left all his sketching implements out of doors in the castle grounds. The next morning he hastened thither to secure them from being stolen or spoiled. Meanwhile, he was hoping to have an opportunity of rectifying Paula's mistake about his personality, which, having served a very good purpose in introducing them to a mutual conversation, might possibly be made just as agreeable as a thing to be explained away. He fetched his drawing instruments, rods, sketching blocks and other articles from the field where they had lain, and was passing under the walls with them in his hands, when there emerged from the outer archway an open landau, drawn by a pair of black horses of fine action and obviously strong pedigree, in which Paula was seated under the shade of a white parasol with black and white ribbons fluttering on the summit. The morning sun sparkled on the equipage, its newness being made all the more noticeable by the ragged old arch behind. He bowed to Somerset in a way which might have been meant to express that she had discovered her mistake, but there was no embarrassment in her manner, and the carriage bore her away without her making any sign for checking it. He had not been walking towards the castle entrance, and she could not be supposed to know that it was his intention to enter that day. She had looked such a bud of youth and promise, that his disappointment at her departure showed itself in his face as he observed her. However, he went on his way, entered a turret, ascended to the leads of the great tower, and stepped out. From his elevated position he could still see the carriage and the white surface of Paula's parasol in the glowing sun. While he watched, the landau stopped, and in a few moments the horses were turned, the wheels and the panels flashed, and the carriage came bowling along towards the castle again. Somerset descended the stone stairs. Before he had quite got to the bottom, he saw Mr. Stancy standing in the outer hall. "'When did you come, Mr. Somerset?' she gaily said looking up surprised. How industrious you are to be at work so regularly every day. We didn't think you would be here today. Paula has gone to a vegetable show at Markton, and I'm going to join her there soon. Oh, gone to a vegetable show, but I think she has altered her. At this moment, the noise of the carriage was heard in the ward, and after a few seconds Miss Power came in, Somerset being invisible from the door where she stood. But Paula, what has brought you back? said Mr. Stancy. I have forgotten something. Uh, Mr. Somerset is here. Will you not speak to him? Somerset came forward, and Mr. Stancy presented him to her friend. Mr. Somerset acknowledged the pleasure by a respectful inclination of his person, and said some words about the meeting yesterday. Yes, said Miss Power, with a serene deliberateness quite noteworthy in a girl of her age. I have seen it all since. I was mistaken about you, was I not? Mr. Somerset, I am glad to welcome you here, both as a friend of Mr. Stancy's family and as the son of your father, which is indeed quite a sufficient introduction anywhere. You have two pictures painted by Mr. Somerset's father, have you not? I have already told him about them, said Mr. Stancy. Perhaps Mr. Somerset would like to see them if they are unpacked. As Somerset had from his infancy suffered from a plethora of those productions, excellent as they were, he did not reply quite so eagerly as Mr. Stancy seemed to expect to her kind suggestion. And Paula remarked to him, You will stay to lunch? 
Do order it at your own time, if our hour should not be convenient. A voice was a voice of low note, in quality that of a flute at the grave end of its gamut. If she sang, she was a pure contralto, unmistakably. I am making use of the permission you have been good enough to grant me, of sketching what is valuable within these walls. Yes, of course, I am willing for anybody to come. People hold these places in trust for the nation, in one sense. You lift your hand, Charlotte. I see I have not convinced you on that point yet. Mr. Stancy laughed and said something to no purpose. Somehow Miss Power seemed not only more woman than Mr. Stancy, but more woman than Somerset was man. And yet in years she was inferior to both. Though becomingly girlish and modest, she appeared to possess a good deal of composure, which was well expressed by the shaded light of her eyes. You have then met Mr. Somerset before, said Charlotte. He was kind enough to deliver an address in my defence yesterday. I suppose I seemed quite unable to defend myself. Oh, no, said he. When a few more words had passed, she turned to Mr. Stancy and spoke of some domestic matter, upon which Somerset withdrew, Paula accompanying his exit with a remark that she hoped to see him again a little later in the day. Somerset retired to the chambers of antique lumber, keeping an eye upon the windows to see if she re-entered the carriage and resumed her journey to Markton. But when the horses had been standing a long time, the carriage was driven round to the stables. Then she was not going to the vegetable show. That was rather curious, seeing that she had only come back for something forgotten. These queries and thoughts occupied the mind of Somerset until the bell was rung for luncheon. Owing to the very dusty condition in which he found himself after his morning's labours among the old carvings, he was rather late in getting downstairs, and seeing that the rest had gone in, he went straight to the dining hall. The population of the castle had increased in his absence. There were assembled Paula and her friend Charlotte, a bearded man some years older than himself with a cold grey eye, who was curiously introduced to him in sitting down as Mr. Havill, an architect of Markton, also an elderly lady of dignified aspect in a black satin dress, of which she apparently had a very high opinion. This lady, who seemed to be a mere dummy in the establishment, was, as he now learned, Mrs. Goodman by name, a widow of a recently deceased gentleman and aunt to Paula, the identical aunt who had smuggled Paula into a church in her helpless infancy and had her christened without her parents' knowledge. Having been left in narrow circumstances by her husband, she was at present living with Miss Power as chaperone and adviser on practical matters, in a word as ballast to the management. Beyond her, Somerset discerned his new acquaintance, Mr Woodwell, who on sight of Somerset was for hasting up to him and performing a laboured shaking of hands in earnest recognition. Paula had just come in from the garden and was carelessly laying down her large shady hat as he entered. Her dress, a figured material in black and white, was short, allowing her feet to appear. There was something in her look and in the style of her corsage which reminded him of several of the bygone beauties in the gallery. The thought for a moment crossed his mind that she might have been imitating one of them. Fine old screens, sir, said Mr. Havel, in a long-drawn voice across the table when they were seated pointing in the direction of the traceried oak division between the dining hall and a vestibule at the end, as good a piece of fourteenth-century work as you shall see in this part of the country. 
You mean 15th century, of course, said Somerset. Pavel was silent. You are one of the profession, perhaps? asked the latter after a while. You mean that I am an architect, said Somerset. Yes. Ah, one of my own honoured vocation. Pavel's face had been not unpleasant until this moment, when he smiled, whereupon there instantly gleamed over him a phase of meanness, remaining until the smile died away. Pavel continued with slow watchfulness. What enormous sacrileges are committed by the builders every day, I observe. I was driving yesterday to Dombra, where I am erecting a town hall, and passing through a village on my way, I saw the workmen putting down a chancel wall in which they found embedded a unique specimen of perpendicular work, a capital from some old arcade, the mouldings wonderfully undercut. They were smashing it up as fitting in for the new wall. It must have been unique, said Somerset, in the too readily controversial tone of the educated young man who has yet to learn diplomacy. I have never seen much undercutting in perpendicular stonework, nor anybody else, I think. Oh, yes, lots of it, said Mr. Havel, nettled. Paula looked from one to the other. Which am I to take as guide? she asked. Are perpendicular capitals undercut, as you call it, Mr. Havel, or no? It uh, depends upon circumstances, said Mr. Havel. And Somerset had answered at the same time. There is seldom or never any marked undercutting in moulded work later than the middle of the 14th century. Havel looked keenly at Somerset for a time. Then he turned to Paula. As regards that fine Saxon vaulting you did me the honour to consult me about the other day, I should advise taking out some of the old stones and reinstating new ones exactly like them. The new ones won't be Saxon, said Paula. And then in time to come, when I have passed away and those stones have become stained like the rest, people will be deceived. I should prefer an honest patch to any such make-believe of Saxon relics. As she concluded, she let her eyes rest on Somerset for a moment, as if to ask him to side with her. Much as he liked talking to Paula, he would have preferred not to enter into this discussion with another professional man, even though that man were a spurious article. But he was led on to enthusiasm by a sudden pang of regret at finding that the masterly workmanship of this fine castle was likely to be tinkered and spoilt by such a man as Havel. You will deceive nobody into believing that anything is Saxon here, he said warmly. That is not a square inch of Saxon work, as it is called, in the whole castle. Or in doubt looked to Mr. Havel. Oh, yes, sir, you are quite mistaken, said the gentleman slowly. Every stone of those lower vaults was reared in Saxon times. I can assure you, said Somerset, deferentially but firmly, there is not an arch or wall in this castle of a date anterior to the year 1100. No one whose attention has ever been given to the study of architectural details of that age can be of a different opinion. I have studied architecture, and I am of a different opinion. I have the best reason in the world for the difference, for I have history herself on my side. What would you say when I tell you that it is a recorded fact that this was used as a castle by the Romans, and that it is mentioned in Doomsday as a building of long standing? I shall say that that has nothing to do with it, replied the young man. I don't deny that there may have been a castle here in the time of the Romans, 
What I say is that none of the architecture we now see was standing at that date. There was a silence of a minute, disturbed only by a murmured dialogue between Mrs. Goodman and the minister, during which Paula was looking thoughtfully on the table as if framing a question. Can it be, she said to Somerset, that such certainty has been reached in the study of architectural dates? Now, would you really risk anything on your belief? Would you agree to be shut up in the vaults and fed upon bread and water for a week if I could prove you wrong? Willingly, said Somerset. The date of those towers and arches is a matter of absolute certainty from the details. That they should have been built before the conquest is as unlikely as, say, that the rustiest old gun with a percussion lock should be older than the date of Waterloo. How oh, I wish I knew something precise of an art which makes one so independent of written history. Mr. Havel had lapsed into a mannerly silence that was only sullenness disguised. Paula turned her conversation to Mr. Stancy, who had simply looked from one to the other during the discussion, though she might have been supposed to have a prescriptive right to a few remarks on the matter. A commonplace talk ensued, till Havel, who had not joined in it, privately began at Somerset again with a mixed manner of cordiality, contempt and misgiving. You have a practice, I suppose, sir? I am not in practice just yet. Just beginning? I am about to begin. In London or near here? In London, probably. Huh. I am practising in Markton. Indeed. Have you been at it long? Not particularly. I designed the chapel built by this lady's late father. It was my first undertaking. I owe my start, in fact, to Mr. Power. Ever build a chapel? Never. I have sketched a good many churches. Ah, there we differ. I didn't do much sketching in my youth, nor have I time for it now. Sketching and building are two different things to my mind. I was not brought up into the profession, got into it through sheer love of it. I began as a landscape gardener, then I became a builder, then I was a road contractor. Every architect might do worse than have some such experience. But nowadays it is the men who can draw pretty pictures you get recommended, not the practical men. Young prigs win institute medals for a pretty design or two, which, if anybody tried to build them, would fall down like a house of cards. Then they get travelling studentships and what not, and then they start as architects of some new school or other, and think they are the masters of us experienced ones. While Somerset was reflecting how far this statement was true, he heard the voice of Paula inquiring, Who can he be? Our eyes were bent on the window. Looking out, Somerset saw in the mead beyond the dry ditch, Dare, with his photographic apparatus. He is the young gentleman who called about taking views of the castle, said Charlotte. Oh yes, I remember. It is quite right. He met me in the village and asked me to suggest him some views. I thought him a respectable young fellow. I think he is a Canadian said Somerset. No, said Paula, he is from the East. At least he implied so to me. There is Italian blood in him, said Charlotte brightly, for he spoke to me with an Italian accent, but I can't think whether he is a boy or a man. It is to be earnestly hoped that the gentleman does not prevaricate, said the minister, for the first time attracted by the subject. I accidentally met him in the lane, and he said something to me about having lived in Malta. I think it was Malta or Gibraltar, even if he did not say that he was born there. 
His manners are no credit to his nationality, observed Mrs. Goodman, also speaking publicly for the first time. He asked me this morning to send him out a pail of water for his process, and before I had turned to go away, he began whistling. I don't like whistlers. Then it appears, said Somerset, that he is a being of no age, no nationality, and no behaviour. A complete negative, added Havel, brightening into a civil sneer. That is, he would be, if he were not a maker of negatives well known in Markton. Not well known, Mr. Havel, answered Mrs. Goodman firmly, for I lived in Markton for thirty years, ending three months ago, and he was never heard of in my time. He is something like you, Charlotte, said Paula, smiling playfully on her companion. All the men looked at Charlotte, on whose face a delicate, nervous blush thereupon made its appearance. On my word, there is a likeness, now I think of it, said Havel. Paula bent down to Charlotte and whispered, Forgive my rudeness, dear. He's not a nice enough person to be like you. He's really more like one or other of the old pictures about the house. I forget which. And really, it does not matter. People's features fall naturally into groups and classes, remarked Somerset. To an observant person, they often repeat themselves, though to a careless eye, they seem infinite in their differences. The conversation flagged, and they idly observed the figure of the cosmopolite Dare as he walked round his instrument in the mead and busied himself with an arrangement of curtains and lenses, occasionally withdrawing a few steps and looking contemplatively at the towers and walls. End of Book the First, Part 8